Sundays are my favorite day of the week. You can guess why, I hope. It's the day we gather together for the hour that is the center of our life as a religious community. But you might be surprised by what I love most about Sunday. It's not listening to myself talk, although let's face it, few preachers dislike that part. (laughs) It's not our quiet times together or even the beautiful music we hear. It's not listening to Mary speak, although there are few gifts greater for a clergy person than the chance to sit back and be inspired yourself in the congregation you serve. It's not watching you all walk up and greeting you at the door, although that is a close second. My favorite part happens during coffee hour, as our children come up from their classes and find their parents or their friends and the cookies, as they show off the projects they made that morning or tug on shirt sleeves to ask for a visit to the playground before going home, even as they clamor and run around, not yet entirely aware of how their bodies move in space. I love watching our children during that time because they act like they own the place. The strut, the cookie reach, the march into the main hall. Sometimes I wish they, and perhaps especially my own child, moved a little more carefully through the crowd. But mostly, I want them to feel like they own this place, like this is their home. Reflecting on this brings up an interesting question for me. Who does own this place? Who owns the Washington Ethical Society? Is it the leaders, the board, the membership? I don't really mean whose name is on the Articles of Incorporation or who gets to sign on the dotted line when we take on a mortgage. I mean, to whom are we responsible? Who owns the spirit, the future of this community? The answer, I think, is not any of the individuals I listed, not even our children. It's actually not individuals at all. We are owned by our mission, by our purpose in the world. Dan Hotchkiss, the author of Governance and Ministry, puts it this way, quote, The congregation's job is to find the mission it belongs to, the real owner for whose benefit the leaders hold and deploy resources, end quote. We are owned by the possibility of the work we have yet to do, the people we have yet to welcome, as well as by the work we have already done and the people who have helped to shape our history. We are accountable not to making you happy or you happy, but to fulfilling our mission to the best of our ability. Put very broadly, the mission of every congregation is, to quote management consultant Peter Drucker about the goal of nonprofit organizations in general, a changed human being. He calls that the product of nonprofit or social sector organizations. I might add a changed world, although perhaps that follows naturally from all of the changed human beings running around. The point, I think, is that we are about the business of transformation, about changing how we are in the world, evolving our relationships and our thinking and our actions and changing the world right along with us. 
Now, of course, every congregation does that within a specific context, with its particular values and its particular history, and with its particular moment. So, not to put too fine a point on it, our hope to change ourselves and the world, that hope, or at least the way we say it, changes too. Which brings us to today and the task that lies before this congregation in this moment. After this morning's platform, we'll gather together to look at our statement of purpose, our mission. We'll consider how it says just what we want and how it's missing something and how it's perfect and how it's not. Looking at the statement of purpose, even revising it or changing the wording completely, that doesn't mean that we're changing our values. I like the way Lovett Weems, director of the Lewis Center for Church Leadership, puts it in his book, appropriately named Church Leadership. He says, the only way to preserve values over time is to be involved continually in renewal and change, thus finding ever fresh expression for those values. This afternoon, all of your voices will come together to begin a process of renewal and change, a process to preserve values. Mary and I are honored to share with you some of our values and our dreams for renewal and change this morning. Thank you, Amanda and the chorus. I've been looking forward to this day, and it is indeed an honor to share with you some of my values and dreams this morning. Part of my vision that I'm going to share with you grows out of my work with our newly formed growth team. And in particular, I'm indebted to Julie Campbell and Judith Johnson, who poured through hours and hours of videos of breakthrough congregations. Those are those congregations that have achieved um, large and sustainable growth. Some of those, some of those, that growth is meteoric. It's, It's huge in some congregations. So we've been trying to pull apart what are those common factors that make for a growing congregation. And it turns out that all of these congregations have a few things in common. First, they have a clarity of purpose. They know who they are and what they want to be. I can think of no more urgent need for Wes right now than to be engaged in this process we are about to start today. Second, they emphasize the collective endeavor. Some of them reported becoming more conscience, conscious of how they work, how their work has been kind of siloed. There was the board and the leaders, the pastoral care group, the social justice group, the Sunday school, each with its own identity and center uh, somewhat fighting for its own authority and well-being instead of working together for the community as a whole. They began to notice and celebrate their interdependencies, building partnerships across groups. 
three, they have an urgency, a sense of urgency about them. They knew that what they had to offer was vitally important, and they were willing to take risks, understanding that their risk-taking may not always work out. They were willing to fumble and fail. They saw themselves as living their faith full throttle. They challenged one another to dream bigger dreams. They thought of themselves as communities of change. One congregation in particular decided that their mission was to equip one another to live boldly. And they were always asking each other, what is the bold choice? We are trying to call each other to boldness, they said. A culture asks us to discover. Our founding member, Dr. Felix Adler, asked, what consecrating influence shall we bring into our lives? What will we do to make life sacred? What are the conditions that enliven the human spirit, that make goodness flourish, that help us realize the worth in ourselves and in the life of others? This kind of community of shared spiritual aspiration and practice is one of the most tender and nourishing human ventures I know. And when we find it, it is a treasure of great worth. It is why our current statement says that we celebrate what we value. We are right for the exercise we are embarking on today, knowing who we are and who we hope to be, equipping one another to live boldly. Choosing love above all else gives us our best hope of building the world we have always longed to see and becoming the people we have always wanted to be. My task now is to share with you a little bit about my vision for how Wes might be out in the world, in our justice work, in our community presence, in our role in the broader coalitions and associations of which we are a part. I want to start this section by returning to what Dan Hotchkiss said, the author I quoted earlier, when he said that a congregation is owned by its mission. I like that, but what I like even more is how he followed it up. The primary measure of success is not the balance in the bank, the shortness of board meetings, or the happiness of congregants. A congregation's bottom line is the degree to which its mission is achieved. For me, that means that even though we want to do all these wonderful things in the world, and we do, even though I hope that we will march and rally and feed and vote and serve, all those things won't on their own mean success. Success asks us to think more deeply, to connect all of those pieces with our core values, with our statement of purpose. Now, I think there's a reasonable argument that for us, for an ethical society, or really for any liberal religious congregation, doing those wonderful things in the world is our purpose, our mission. Actually, we make the argument right on our bumper sticker with a quote from Thomas Paine, the world is my country, to do good is my religion. I like that bumper sticker. 
I have one on my car, as a matter of fact. But what I really wish is that I had a much bigger bumper sticker, one that ran across my whole bumper so that I could say the real truth. It would go something like this. The world is my country, to do good is my religion, but actually that's because my religion is about inherent worth and loving people and seeing us as radically connected to each other and noticing the beauty in every moment and creating that beauty for each other and constantly working toward the right and knowing that it's just one big human family out there and one big and somehow small world. And if you believe all of those things, then it turns out that you like to do good. That might not fit. <laughs> it might not fit on my car's bumper, though. <laughs> but get it. <laughs> I already have a Subaru Outback, you know. I mean, <laughs> it could fit in a statement of purpose, though, or something similar could fit there. What I'm trying to say is that we don't just exist to do good. We do good because of our deepest values, because of our religious value, values, our ethical values. We do good because we are drawn to do good through our relationships with each other and with the wider world. And it's no surprise that some of our best do-gooding is based in relationship. Our relationship with the community of El Rodeo, which leads to all kinds of work on anti-mining laws and other things in the Latin American world. Our relationships with other congregations in the city, which leads to work for affordable housing and jobs with the Washington Interfaith Network. Our relationships with district residents, which lead to work for voting rights in D.C. The point for me is not these individual outreaches as much as I care about them. The point is the idea behind them, the importance of relationship, and even deeper, the belief in the worth of every person, the idea that every person matters, and the pull toward relationship that belief creates. There's a blog post that's been making the rounds in the Unitarian Universalist world about the dangers of being a religion that lets people believe whatever they want. It asks the movement to consider the importance of grounding social justice work in belief, and really in shared belief, not in creed, which is a belief all must ascribe to, but in shared searching for truth. The author, Peter Bulata, writes, quote, a group of like-minded individuals doing community service together with no theology, no discerned sense of vocation is not a faith community, it's the Rotary Club. A group of people dedicated to liberal ideals with no, perhaps I should say, shared theology, shared sense of vocation is not a church, it's a political club, end quote. Yeah, ouch. <laughs> now, we may not all use the word theology to describe what we do here. We can talk about that another time. I have thoughts on it, as you <laughs> might guess. But I think Reverend Bulada's words can speak to us, too. I am, however, more optimistic that we know who we are, and it's not a political club. I think we know who we are and how that grounds us in the world. And while we should keep that tagline on the bumper sticker, if only apparently to reduce sales of enormous SUVs or Hummers, 
I love that we can speak to the larger grounding, the bigger meaning in our statement of purpose. It is that grounding, after all, that has us doing good. There is a beautiful short story by Raymond Carver called Cathedral, in which a man, the narrator, unwillingly agrees to accommodate a house guest. The visitor is an old friend of the man's wife. His name is Robert, and he is blind. At first, it seems that the man is unwelcoming because he doesn't like that his wife has an old friend, and that's true. But it soon becomes clear that what he really doesn't like is Robert's blindness. He can't understand it. It makes him uncomfortable. He keeps saying awkward things. Eventually, the wife goes to bed and the man and Robert channel surf on TV until they find a documentary about cathedrals. They don't really want to watch it, but the man thinks it'll kill time till they can go to bed. Suddenly, he says to Robert, do you have any idea what a cathedral even is? You've never seen one. How can you imagine it? Robert says he has some idea. He knows they're from the Middle Ages. They took centuries to build. They're Catholic. But no, he says, I can't really imagine what they are. Is there one on the TV now? Can you describe it? And the man tries half-heartedly, but he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't know anything about architecture, and he doesn't want to get into this with, with, with this guy. But Robert says, do you have any paper and pen here? Would you draw it for me? The man is so flabbergasted by this, so taken aback, that he gets some paper and pen. He spreads it out, and Robert puts his hand, which is large, over his own hand. Let's do it, says Robert. And they start out very haltingly, making a square, a box like a house, and then put a roof on it. They add a steeple, and then suddenly they're making spires, flying buttresses and gargoyles. Their hands are flying all over the paper, adding turrets and great rose windows, ironwork, tiny statues of the saints, little trees down below dwarfed by the height of the walls and ominous medieval clouds. They shade in all the stonework, make great wooden doors. At one point, Robert tells the man to close his eyes, and when he does, he feels as if they are flying together. He and his blind guest, this weird, unwelcome guest, over the paper, into the air, between the great towers of the cathedral, and then down into the center of it, into a great room filled with colored light. He opens his eyes and looks a long time into the face of his companion. They create by imagining it together. They construct a whole cathedral, hand in hand, and somehow in so doing, they begin to make the start or a possibility of a relationship. There's something in that story that speaks to us here today. We build this community together by imagining it together, by leading one another toward it, no matter where we come from, no matter who we are. We describe it to each other, what we hope it is, and we come to know each other and our own selves in the process. Over and over, relentlessly, unceasingly, this community tells the story 
of justice and forgiveness, the story of hospitality and generosity, the story of courage, not bravado, and vulnerability, not glittering success. It's the story of generous welcome in a world of exclusions. In telling these stories, we are reminded that we live in two worlds at once, the world as it is and the one we are constantly reinventing, reimagining, reclaiming, rehabilitating, reviving with our commitment, our hope, our love, and our joy. We exist not to push a rosy, happy, feel-good story, but to proclaim possibility, to call us to our better selves, to coax us toward the vision, the values we mean to uphold, even when we're falling short, to charge us with the goal of being noble, not small. It will be exciting to see what we evolve, what we create in this process. Today, we begin. And from what we produce today, a small group will take a shot at revising what we come up with. In three weeks at special neighborhood gatherings, we will take another look, all of us. Ultimately, we'll go to the membership at the June 3rd membership meeting for a vote. When Felix Adler founded Ethical Culture, he offered an invitation to revision the religious enterprise and to challenge the prevailing assumptions about religious community. We are called at this moment in time to renew that undertaking. So let us enjoy this day in this process, for it is a gift to us all.